I'm Mark McNeely, Managing Editor of No-Till Farmer, and welcome to the latest edition of our 2018 No-Till Farmer podcast series. Our program features Bob Wolf, a veteran application expert and owner of Wolf Consulting and Research in Muhammad, Illinois. This presentation, titled Tackling Application and Labeling Challenges for Herbicide-Resistant Cropping Systems, is brought to you by Yetter Manufacturing Company. I encourage you to subscribe to this series currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about upcoming episodes when they're released. If you have another app you use for listening to podcasts, let us know and we'll make an effort to get it listed there as well. I'd like to take a moment to thank Yetter Manufacturing Company for sponsoring today's episode. With a tradition of providing farmers solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. Today, Bob Wolf's discussion examines several recent changes in labeling and application requirements for three major herbicides containing dicamba, including Extendamax, Fexpan, and Ingenia. A copy of Bob's PowerPoint presentation on this subject at the 2018 National No-Tillage Conference also accompanies this podcast as a reference. Let's join Bob as he details these important application changes and provides resources available to help you spray safely within this new set of requirements. So first of all, the concern we have in this marketplace today is the resistant weeds and how do we control those resistant weeds? And we're all familiar with some of the problems that have led us up to this status. The fact that we've used Roundup for several years and the Roundup isn't doing the job anymore and we've misused that. And we were anxiously looking forward to the introduction of the Dicamba products. Dicamba is not a new product. It's been around since the 50s. It's been redesigned and redeveloped over the years and in 2000. 16 fall and 17 spring, the EPA finally agreed and released the products available that we're able to use now in the dicamba tolerant seeding and cropping scenarios, which will be soybeans and cotton, depending on where you're located. But one of the issues that we have to overcome would be situations like that. Now the EPA provided guidance over the development of these labels. What was their reason? What was their goal? When they set the status of the label up, and first one that came out, what was their goal? What's the EPA's number one goal here in this application of dicamba? What does it hear about all the time? Drift. And that was their concern. And so, even more pronounced, it was specific to endangered species. And I'm sure you've heard about and discussed endangered species in various ways in the past. But they're concerned about a plant species or an insect species or an animal species that may be affected by the drift of the dicamba product. And they're not so much concerned about the fact that that drift may cause 
a problem to a peach orchard or an, an, a non-dicamba tolerant crop. And in fact, it's upsetting to me to understand that their number one guideline for developing the information on these labels to prevent drift was that sole purpose and they had no care whether we were able to use that product effectively to kill the weed. All they wanted us to do was not drift. Now, to not drift, based on some things I said yesterday, what would that mean? We need big droplets so they don't move in the wind. Well, if we have big droplets, then the likelihood of good coverage may result in poor weed control. And I've had discussions with them during the summer and I became completely frustrated because they, in that organization, they had no concern for the efficacy. And as applicators, that would be our goal. So as a grower, your goal is to, is to kill the resistant weeds and while doing that, mitigate spray drift. Maintain it at, as, at, at least amount as possible. So what I wanna go through today, <coughs> excuse me, are the 2018 label revisions and what that means different from 2017. And for the most part, the major change right up front is the EPA said that we had too much confusion. Actually, the industry said we had too much confusion last year because we had all the labels and we had, for instance, the one on the screen now is the BASF product, Ingenia. And you'll notice here in the circle, the 2018 label has all of the crops associated with the use of that product. They're resistant to the dicamba molecule. Last year, we had two labels from each company. You had the regular label for the asparagus and that type of deal, and then you had a supplemental label for cotton, and you had a supplemental label for soybeans. And that was very confusing because the application requirements are different with the asparagus scenarios and the cotton and soybean scenarios. In 2018, all the companies were required to combine all this information into one label. So this is the example of the label from uh, BASF. Now the other part that's different is up here in the top is restricted use. It wasn't restricted use in 2017, so restricted use makes some differences as well. And one of those is record keeping. And that's an issue for most of the growers because record keeping turned out to be one of the situations in investigating the damages in 2017. Lack of records was obvious. And there's a lot of people out there that were applying these dicamba products without keeping adequate records. So records are gonna be instituted this year. And because it's a restricted use product, that also requires that certifi certification and training take place. Now specific on the label, I'm gonna cover these in more detail, but you've got the uh, nozzle type, pressure, spray volume, equipment and ground speed, and the spray boom height. Those are application specifics that we're gonna talk about, and I'll highlight those out later. So it's restricted use, and this is the Monsanto product, and it's been adjusted as well to include all of their uh, crop specifics. Uh, as you see on here, the primary name is a number, but the alternate brand name, and that's what we hear reference to out there, is Extendamax with Vapor Grip Technology. Now, the Vapor Grip Technology is an important concept, and I'll speak to in a second. Training and record keeping, this is in the label, and then down lower, section nine talks about spray, spray drift management and sprayer setup. 
So one thing that's another interesting concept here to me is an, as a trainer of applicators for 30 years, one thing that I've learned over time that the least likely red item in the process of farming is the label. People just don't like to read the label in the detail that it needs to be read. And that's where we're headed in our labeling for the future. And the details in the label are gonna direct the application. And in fact, there were some 2017 incidents where it was understood after interviewing these people that they didn't read the label. And they based a lot of their applications on past history and things they've done, and it's different. Again, on their label, section nine, the sprayer setup, and I'll cover that again. Now here's the third product. This is from DuPont and it's called Fexapan. So we've got Ingenia from BASF. We've got Extendamax with VapoGrip technology from Monsanto. And we've got the Fexapan with VGD technology, VapoGrip technology from uh, DuPont. Now as it turns out, because of an agreement with Seed, the Monsanto product and the DuPont product are exactly the same. So the labels are exactly the same. Now, because of combinations of companies, Dow is, is involved in the DuPont side anymore, so you're gonna probably be hearing some Dow folks talking about the dicamba material as well in their package. But the key thing here to understand is DuPont's product and Monsanto's product are exactly the same. All of them are talking about, oh, the other point, I guess I didn't bring this out, because it's restricted use and because the EPA has said so, there will be training. And you've probably heard about this in the state you're, you're represented here. That training is required and it's called dicamba training or oxen training. And it's in, in the state of Illinois where I'm from, as a private trainer, I'm not even able to do that. It has to be provided by the registrant or the cooperative extension service. Now, if the registrant wanted to hire somebody like me and train me, we could do that. But the challenge is we have to use a training deck that the companies have developed and those training decks from all three companies have to be very similar and EPA approved and specifically in the state, they have to be approved by the regulatory agency and in my case, it's the Illinois Department of Ag. And so Missouri and Indiana and, and Arkansas and North Dakota, all those states are abiding by this scenario. And in fact, some of the states are making restrictions that are more, uh, uh, they're tougher to follow than the national. For instance, uh, North Dakota and Minnesota have recently passed the 24C and they're gonna have a cutoff date when you can't apply past and they're also gonna have a temperature limit. And, there's, and I'm not sure what, what Missouri ended up with, but they've got some challenges as well that will be different than the federal label. Okay. The record keeping part, there's going to be some assistance with that and online you'll be able to get these, but this is the one that Monsanto is providing for Extendamax and this is the one that BASF is providing. And on those label record keeping forms, application record keeping forms will be all of the information that the EPA is requesting be a part of that record keeping system. So that'd be a good place to start and most of the websites will have access to that or in, in the meetings that I've been to where training has occurred, they'll hand that out so you'll have it. But it, it outlines the various things and just some way to get some kind of an established detail about what was done. 
including times of day, days, etc. Let's take a look a little closer at the application requirements, and I'll use the Extendomax and Fexapan label here to start with. And it talks right off the bat about nozzle type. That's where it begins. And it refers you to a website. Now the website has a purpose, because when these labels were approved last year, they started with one single nozzle. But as the season progressed, you can imagine that if one, one nozzle company got the magic choice, the others were honked off. So at some point in time, other nozzles were added onto the list, but they had to go through a federal testing program to make that list. So they went through a wind tunnel test. The data on drift was established out of each nozzle. The nozzle test had to be done with a product in the tank. So if BASF was adding a nozzle to their label, it had to have Ingenia plus the nozzle, and the nozzle had to be used at the pressures and settings that, it would, that would meet the EPA standard for drift. Once the wind tunnel data was established, they sent that data to the EPA, and the EPA had a model, it's called AG-DISP, it's a software model that you plug in the droplet data from the nozzles and the wind tunnel, and it predicts a drift profile. And at one point in time, they established a drift profile, and it happened to be with the turbo T-Jet induction nozzle, which I mentioned yesterday had the least amount of drift, and that was their baseline. So anything else that was tested had to have that much drift or less. If it had more drift, didn't make the list. So anything that was added to the list over time had a drift profile better than the original starting point. Now, what I'll say at this point, just since we're on that subject, the only testing that was done for a nozzle, for a chemical, for an adjuvant, including DRAs, was done exactly what I just said. There was no field test, no experiences in the field. So a product made it to the label, there was no sound agronomic process behind that. And to me, that was challenging. And it was a challenge because these things just started showing up in the label almost daily, and that made it very confusing. Now, at least in 2018, that's pretty well done. Only some new products that may come along, and at this point in time, there's not any new nozzles that we're expecting. So those lists are kind of stat as things come along. But the challenge we had as we moved through that process was understanding that, but as I told you before, most people weren't accustomed to following labels that closely, let alone the fact that it was online. Now, I did a meeting Wednesday in Virginia, and 75% of that audience was not, did not use internet. So they had no opportunities even to follow up and be up to speed on that. So they, there's, that challenge has to be answered too. Okay, so each company has a website that you have to go to, and that's where the information will be regarding the nozzle. Now it says, use an approved nozzle within a specified pressure range, as found on that website. So the person using the website has to understand that nozzle and the accepted pressure range. Now that's a different change from 2017. 
On two th in 2017, the label actually said, do not use the TTI 11004 nozzle above 63 PSI. That language is not in this label right now, but it's implied there. And the reason 63 PSI was established, that's that drift profile point. If you use 67 PSI, what would you expect to happen? The droplets would be smaller and there'd be more drifts. So that was that little magic line in the sand. All right. The other part that I want to say there while we're talking, and I'll have another slide about this, but the EPA, the industry understands that when you add various adjuvants into a tank, it can adjust the droplets. And I showed you some data yesterday where, in fact, some adjuvants in the tank increased the drift. And so they weren't going to allow that to happen in this process, so everything had to be tested. So it didn't go above that profile. This was changed in 2018. Now the labels require 15 gallon. Last year it said 10. However, for some reason, the BASF product still came out with 10. That, that was a slip up because the EPA suggested we need to have more gallons to improve the coverage. And if you understand that a little bit, the higher the gallons, probably the slower you're gonna drive to get your application. So slowing down the driving speed a little bit. So the next part is the ground speed. There's a limit of 15 mile an hour. Now, in most areas that I talk, that's not a factor. But if I talk in my state of Illinois or in areas where the fields are as long and flat as you can see, then that is an issue for some applicators that like to drive 20 and 25 mile an hour. But you don't have that problem, do you? Okay, so 15 mile an hour is a speed limit. 15 gallons is the limit on volume. It's not, is the minimum. Now here's a point, I'm going, to call, I'm going to talk about this again. In, in the world that I work in, most applicators have rate controllers on their sprayers. And if they're going to set that rate controller up to go 15 mile an hour and 15 gallon an acre, if they slow down to 5 mile an hour, that's a problem. And so the fact that this is on the label is disruptive to me, and I made myself clear on that to the companies. The next part is boom height. And boom height is not anything that's ever, ever been stipulated on a label. This is new. But the main reason boom height has been added to this label is the higher the boom, the more exposure to drift. So they're actually bringing this down into the perspective it should be. And in fact, there's a rule of thumb in the industry. Boom height above the target should be equal to the nozzle spacing. So what's a typical nozzle spacing? 20. So the 24 inches is closer to that scenario. And the other thing that's been more, is consistent on the label this year versus last is the three mile an hour, do not spray below three mile an hour and above 10. There were varieties of label languages last year that confused people. So they just made it three to 10. Now, unfortunately, that's a common phrase on a label, three to 10. And if we live in the real world, we have challenges meeting that. Okay, and, and just as a side note, we're talking Ingenia, we're talking Extendamax, we're talking Fexapan. Those are dicambas. But Dow has a product that's 2,4-D. So we can have similar concepts, 2,4-D drift issues as well. And they have label scenarios similar. Uh, the one they've had now since 2014 is Enlist Duo, which has the glyphosate and the 2,4-D in the tank. Just this last fall, they came out with what's called Enlist 1, which only contains the 2,4-D, which now allows applicators to use their own glyphosate 
scenario. So that's a difference. But there are label requirements in these two products as well, and I'm not gonna go into those today, but those would be worth uh, understanding that. We'll rejoin Bob in a moment, but I wanted to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Yetter Manufacturing Company, for supporting our No-Till Farmer podcast series. With a tradition of providing farmer solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agricultural demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment, for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter Manufacturing delivers on the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. We've heard from Bob about new labeling challenges associated with application restrictions for dicamba products in the 2018 growing season. Let's get back to him as he talks about sprayer nozzle types available to no-tillers, their optimal operating pressures, and sprayer setups as they relate to the changes in application conditions, which include boom height and ground speed. So let's talk about the nozzle a little bit in terms of the pattern and the boom height. So what I'm gonna start with here and discuss is this little area right here called the overlap. Now, when we're talking about uniform application, that's our goal. We gotta provide that product uniformly. So when we raise and lower the boom, we change this angle. If we raise the boom, we also expose it to more wind. If we get the boom too low, we cut down on that overlap and then we're gonna start having dips in our pattern and raises in our pattern. So a standard rule of thumb here is one to one. Now. It's all about overlap, and that's influenced by nozzle angle and height. So it's geometry. We got a nozzle that's spraying in an upside down V. So just think about those edges and how that changes as we go up and down. And the swath width, or the, or the nozzle spacing and then the angle of that spray. Now the typical angle today is 120 degrees, 110 degrees. So that's kind of standard. But if you have an 80 degree, it changes this a little bit. So commonly overlap is 25 to 30% on each side. But I wanna focus on this again, because the spray boom height has been established at no more than 24 feet, inches, but here's a chart right out of the T-Jet catalog recommending spray heights based on fan angle. And they're saying in their chart, if you have an 80 degree fan angle, the height above the target should be 30. Now, why am I bringing this up here in this talk? Well, remember the label says 24 inch goal here is the Texapan and Extendamax nozzle chart. And these are the nozzles that are approved, and I'm gonna go through those a little more later, but look right here. With this Leckler nozzle and these two T-Jet nozzles, what's the fan angle? 80 degrees. Now, that, to me, that contradicts the language in this label. Because if the label says no higher than 24 inches and they're gonna suggest a nozzle that requires 30, that's wrong. So that's a problem that I see in the, in the wording in this label. Now, I don't think a lot of people are gonna be using 80 degree fan angles and probably not this air induction style because the TTI is the one that's more popular in most senses. Just a little thing in this label that's precarious. Now the nozzles, this is the nozzle chart from the website. Now I've got two boxes highlighted here. 
these two nozzles are recent ads. The top two are from Greenleaf, and those are twin fans. So we, we actually have twin fans on the label that are approved for the Monsanto and DuPont product right now. Down at the bottom, Wilger, which is a nozzle that's commonly found on the capstan or the aim command systems with the Case IH equipment, has Wilger nozzles. And now they have an approved extra nozzle, the UR, it's new. Now associated on this chart are the pressures. First thing I wanna point out, and this is based on some comments I made yesterday and comments that I have based on the research that I and others have done, the pressures are too low. If we have pressures, if we use these air induction style nozzles, Venturi style nozzles at 20 PSI for sure, you're gonna have poor patterns. So I say, yes, the these pressures are too low. Now, in some cases, I'm saying 30 pounds might be too low because of the max. But right here, these tips right here that have minimums of 30 and max of 40, 30 and 40 is probably acceptable. However, now here's another point. You notice Hypro and John Deere listed here. John Deere doesn't make a nozzle. It's a Hypro nozzle. And you can see that in the numbering scheme. But it may be part numbered through John Deere. And if you get enough nozzles from a manufacturer, they'll, they'll put your name on it. So I call out this whole system that low pressures are problematic. And I've developed a theme in my training and in my complaining about we need higher pressure. And I'll vote on, uh, visit on that here a little bit later. In fact, from my talk yesterday, the sweet thought. Now the sweet spot is what we've highlighted here. And I'm pretty well understanding that 40 is about the low pressure, except in this case here where they only go to 40, then maybe 30 works. But when you're talking over here with options at 60, and even these two new options here at 70, that low pressure is a little problematic. Now here's the BASF chart. It's not near as cumbersome. They've only got a handful of nozzles listed there. It's a little easier to choose. Only thing they've really done is expanded the size. Because as we go from last year's label at 10 gallon to this year's label at a minimum of 15, number one, that's gonna take a bigger nozzle to accomplish. Because if you use a little nozzle, you'll have to use a higher pressure and that'll be problematic. I showed you this picture yesterday. So to your point, here's the ULD. You see there's a little bit of, there's a little smaller droplet spectrum in there when you get really analyzing it. And so at the higher pressure, that becomes a drift element. And there's the TTI at 60 PSI. All right, let's go to the next part of the label. Spray volume, 15 gallon, ground speed 15 gallon. <coughs> now I wanna focus on this a little bit, especially for you folks that use rate controllers. Because when you program the rate controller, and if you're gonna drive 15 mile an hour, and you're gonna put on 15 gallon of the acre, then what happens as you change your speed in the field? The pressure's gonna adjust up or down. So if you end up setting that pressure at the max of 60, then you don't have any flexibility when you go faster. And what happens when you start slowing down? That pattern's gonna become a problem. So there's an issue. So let's go through a calculation. I can't do a calibration talk or a, a talk on application without talking calibration. 
Now this is the rate controller at work here, but if you're gonna go 15 a gallon, 15 mile an hour on a 20 inch spacing, if you do the math to figure out the size of tip you're gonna put on, that math would tell you that you need a nozzle orifice that will deliver 0.76 gallons per minute. That's the math there. Okay, go to the chart, and here's the chart. And I'm gonna use the TTI chart, so I've got an 04, an 05, and an 06. Remember, I need 0.76 gallons per minute to make that speed at that gallons per acre. So the next thing I'm gonna do is figure out which orifice will do that, and which orifice will allow me to do it at the pressure I need. So if I put a brown 05 on to get 0.76, what pressure will I have? Just a little over 90. So that's no, that doesn't work. That's off label. Go to the, to the six. Now what's the pressure? Well, you can't tell exactly, but it's over 60. And basically what I told you, that's kind of where this line is. So it's, it's a little uh, tougher to tell. So to help with that process, I've created a spreadsheet. I've got a copy over here on the table if you want to look at it in a little more detail, or I've got a website I'll direct you to that has it on there. But I've taken on this spreadsheet for 20 inch nozzles, this particular screenshot is the 06, but I've got 03, 04, 05, and 06. And I've used all of the gallons per acre combinations starting with the 10 gallon with the Ingenia label, all the way up to 20 gallon. Now I'm just screenshotting here a part of it. But the point I wanna make, here's 15 gallon per acre, 15 mile an hour, do the math, 0.76. Now I have a program, I'll show you the source of that program, that can tell me the pressure. So in fact, the pressure required to deliver 0.76 is 64. Now the label specific from 2017 said the, le the, la the pressure limit was 63. So that wouldn't be right to the letter of the law. So you probably can't do that. The Ingenia product last year said we could do that. The Monsanto product said no. So here's what I'm doing. This is the software. I'd highly recommend you get this. You can put it on your phone. It's a University of Illinois Extension Service Sprayer Calibration Calculator. <clears throat> and it allows you to do the calibration. That's what I did first, 15 gallon, 15 mile an hour, et cetera. And then once you get that 0.76, you can use the charts to predict your pressure. And that's how I made those charts. So you can, you can it actually, there's a formula that calculates pressure. If you know one pressure and one flow rate, and you know another flow rate, you can do the fourth. And you've had math in school, you understand that relationship. Okay, I'm gonna come back to that chart in a second, but let's move ahead here. I wanna make a point. Again, this is the Fexapan and the Extendamax nozzle list from the web. Here's the TTI-11006, the one I was just showing you. Now this is either a typo, I'm thinking it's a typo, because what do they got for maximum pressure there? I think that should be at least 60, especially with the bigger orifice. But I'm pointing that out, there might be an error there. I haven't had a chance to question the people on it as yet. But here, back to my chart. If that says 50, then what's your highest pressure you can use to get 15 gallon, 15 mile an hour? You can't. So in fact, you can't run 15 gallon, 15 mile an hour and do it according to the label. So on this chart, you'd have to back yourself down 
If you want to go 15 gallon, you'd have to drop your speed down until you got into around 50 PSI on that Monsanto label. So in fact, you'd, you'd be driving 13 mile an hour instead of 15. Now maybe that's nitty picky, but that's what this is all about. And I've designed this chart that's on my website that you can use to get a feel for what speed you can operate at. In fact, let's just say you wanted to put on 16 gallon. If you went 13 mile an hour at 16 gallon, you could have 54 PSI. So all those combinations are there. And, and in fact, this is a pretty big document. There's a lot of process. And I'm, I'm currently trying to work on the one for 15 inch because there's 15 inch sprayers out there as well. Okay, so here's what I tell most of my applicators. Forget about the speedometer. 15 mile an hour, no. What's your really necessary to focus on is the pressure. So we cross out that and we look at the pressure gauge and then we use our pressure gauge based on the comments I've made yesterday and today. And I'm suggesting for the most part, somewhere between 40 and 60 PSI. And then when you're driving the sprayer, that's where your focus should be. Now I'm, I'm changing this in 2018 because of some of the nozzles on that list and I'm adding 30 into there. So it's not a standard in the pat statement. There's flexibility in the statement I'm making, but it's different than what you're getting out of the nozzle chart. Now here's the part that bothers me, that five mile an hour. This is from the uh, Fexapan label, which is also on the Monsanto label. Provide the applicator can maintain the required nozzle pressure. You know, they say that, but you're not gonna be able to if you drop to five mile an hour. Now I give a lot of talks and I ask a lot of people what they do around the edges of the field or when they come to an area where there's sensitive areas like a garden or flowers, what do they tend to tell me? They slow down. And the one that really gets me is when they say I drop the boom down to the ground. Those are tough scenarios to maintain uniform application to maintain uniform uh, droplets. Now I forgot to mention in my chart the chart that I have provided is only for conventional sprayers. Anybody in here operating a pulse width sprayer, Case IH? That changes this whole ballgame. That makes it a little bit different because you got better flexibility there, but you still got to work within the ranges. Okay, so I contend that for the most part, that's not achievable along the edges. <clears throat> in fact, if, my, if you look at my chart, at the 10 gallon per acre rate, that drops the pressure down to three. And I'm pretty sure most nozzles won't spray at three PSI in, on a sprayer today. Okay, so like I said, that's on my website. You can access that. Now, the next part's about solution. And, and this is a little bit from what I talked about yesterday, but we know and the EPA understands that certain products in the tank will change the dynamics of the droplets and certain Drift control products will help mitigate the spray drift, but some will not help mitigate. So back to the website. You notice the website has application requirements, tank mix requirements, and nozzles. I've been showing you the nozzle page. Now I'm gonna show you the tank mix page. And this is the first page. And this is probably pretty standard right now, but when it started last year, there wasn't anything here. All you could do was put Extend-A-Max and water in the tank and spray. But as the season progressed, different products became available. 
And now the big controversy is this part right here, the very front. Required Drift Reducing Adjuvants, DRAs. This list has expanded dramatically. It started with this product right here, Intact. That was the first one from Precision Labs. So you go online, you'll see this list. Now they've added a statement here that I like. Nozzle selection is one of the most important parameters for drift control. Not all drift reduction additives are compatible with every nozzle type. I think they've added that based on some of the complaining that we did and I did last year. So DRAs, this is the herbicide part of that. So as the season progressed, every company wanted their, their product in the tank mix. So that developed, and I don't even know how many there are now. There are several pages of products. But if you see a product on that list that has red, that means that you have to use a DRA. Otherwise, it will drift too much. That's the purpose of that right there. Here's a page of adjuvants. Now what's interesting to me is there's some adjuvants on this list, and I don't have them all up there. If I went to the next page, Interlock would be on there. To me, Interlock is an excellent DRA, but in order to use Interlock in a spray tank, you gotta add a DRA to it. Now that doesn't make agronomic sense to me at all. Why would I, if I was a customer buying that from a commercial applicator, I'd think, why is he charging me for two drift control products? If I was the farmer doing that decision, why would I want to put two products in that tank? Okay, so the intact. Now what's different with some of these products that were introduced to the dicamba stream was the interaction that the products had with the TTI nozzle. If you realize what I said yesterday, there's a chamber inside there. And some of these old drift reduction agents inside that chamber got destroyed and ended up with more drift. So by adding a DRA, and the form of that DRA is a polysaturide versus other forms, it kept that turbulation chamber from destroying that nozzle. So the first one on the market was that. Another popular one that came on the market was from Winfield. It had a number. It now has a name as of last December. It's called On Target. But those are two excellent DRA sources. There are others. So one of the things that Winfield did last season to support the comments that I was making, I requested this test. I said, put your wind tunnel efforts to work, take your camera, put your DRA in the tank and show us what happens when the pressures are low and the pressures are high. And so here's one of the pictures they've provided. This is what should be acceptable in terms of pattern width. This would not be. And that represents a low pressure with a DRA. So they took that information and they, last year, 2017, they trialed that with all of the nozzles on the, manu on the Monsanto list. The ones that show red here did not meet that test and, and they're saying they wouldn't be recommended because of the pattern quality. Now the nozzle manufacturers have trouble with this and they argue that point that their nozzles are gonna work. But the fact is when you put certain DRAs in there, it destroys that pattern. So, the 2018 information, some of this will still apply, but there's a few more nozzles have been added. But the point I wanna make here, see, support for that high pressure. So they do have the pattern. This is actually off the Monsanto training program for 2018. They've actually put this picture in their training deck. So they're admitting that there can be some adjustments to the nozzle pattern 
based on the DRA added into that tank. And there's a 20 PSI versus a 60 PSI pattern. And that makes a lot of difference across the field. Now there's other parts of the label that I need to bring out here today, not just the nozzle part, because from my perspective, what I've learned from the 2017 investigations across all companies, one of the biggest issues was hygiene of the sprayer and the system. Now I've been in extension for 30 years and I've given a lot of talks on sprayer cleanout. In fact, that's how the topic usually was labeled, sprayer cleanout, but it was really spray tank cleanout. Then it kind of evolved into spray system cleanout and for the last several years you've heard a lot about dirty booms and dirty nozzles and hoses and all that. Well, it's got to go farther than that. And so the term that's being used now is hygiene, and this is actually taken from the BASF training slide. But we're still talking triple rinse, and we're still talking the use of a detergent-based tank cleaner in the second rinse, washing the exterior, removing all the caps, screens, etc. That's still a practice that needs to happen. It needs to now happen, it's specified it needs to happen before the spray and after the spray. Now why? Well, that, what we found, you've, you've, you've heard that AMS is a problem. And I showed you that in yesterday's slide set. With the AMS, the volatility went up. Well, there were people out there in commercial settings and in farmer settings when they did some investigations that were doing multiple fields of spray and they had various tank mixes. And in a lot of cases, the AMS in a previous tank mix carried over into the second tank mix of dicamba and that was a, con a contamination issue. Now, I showed you some pictures. I think I've got them on here. Just think about the facilities that you may have or you may work with with a commercial outfit. Just think of all the hoses and pipes and tanks and mixing vats and all that stuff. And what we learned in 2017 that the attention was given to the sprayer, but they forgot all about everything else. And we had cases around where I lived where there was a field, large field of Liberty Lake soybeans that had cup soybean leaves across the whole field, uniform. And there was just discussion after discussion. What could have caused that? Well, what caused that was as much as a thimble full of dicamba in a tank of Liberty Lake mix because the soybeans are so sensitive to that dicamba, it diluted out into that scenario. And that's probably what happened. But there was places running dicamba and other products through the same mixing tanks, through the same hoses from storage, and they weren't cleaned. Thanks again to Bob Wolf, his extensive experience in application training, as well as his knowledge of the evolution of spray nozzle designs, affords him some unique insights into the upcoming challenges growers will face in applying dicamba products properly. For those listeners who would like to hear more podcasts about plant and soil health and successful strategies for no-tilling, please visit no-till farmer forward slash podcasts. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Yetter Manufacturing Company, for helping to make this No-Till Farmer podcast series possible. 
If you have any feedback on today's episode, feel free to drop me an email at mcneely, that's M-M-C-N-E-E-L-Y, at lessitermedia.com. Or give me a call at 262-777-2404. And if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or at the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up with the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our No-Till Insider Daily and weekly email updates and the Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer with Farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R and on our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For Bob Wolf, the other manufacturing company, and our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Managing Editor Mark McNeely. Thank you for listening.